Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, welcome back to Ausbiz, Australia's only live streaming business and markets channel. Great to have your company as we kick off the afternoon, Eastern Daylight Time, with the call. Ten stocks that uh, you uh, send in and ask for analysis. I put it to an expert panel and uh, it's all done in an hour. And uh, great to have today's panel, Scott Phillips from Motley Fool. Scott, good afternoon to you. And Mark Morland from Team Investor is visiting his grandkids in America and taking time out. So, how are you, mate? Where, where do they live? Where are you? In Bellevue in Washington State. But it's it's getting cold here. As you're getting warmer, the temperature is going down. It's about 10 <laughs> degrees. So, I, I went and put a jumper on. I was feeling a bit chilly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. How long have they been over there? About six years. Right. Okay. Yeah. So my son-in-law, his son-in-law is an Aussie, but he was working for Amazon and they moved him over here. Right. And uh, that's why, and then he's since moved to Microsoft. Ah, oh, so, um, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's, so that's this, a, a big tech airline area, is that? Air it sure is. Yeah, that's fantastic. And inter- right. Interestingly, the real estate prices here are doing exactly the same as in Sydney. Oh, are they? They're, they're all going roof for particularly for houses because right. people after being locked down with corona have gone oh you know i, I don't want to be in a apartment anymore i want some space so yeah. all the house prices go oh that's interesting that's interesting all right let's get into it uh because uh, uh before we get into your 10 stocks if you didn't already know for the next two weeks i'm asking i guess to come along come up with their top stock for a share market crash. Now, as you all know, I get a bit nervous at September, October, because it seems to be the time of massive volatility in share markets, and all of the big historic crashes seem to happen in October. So I, I approach this with a bit of fear. But you talk to experts, the gurus like Scott and Mark, and they, their view is, why would you fear it? It's a time to, to, to get stuck into your watch list. All of those stocks that you think are too expensive, but a great quality um, shares to invest in, a crash gives you a chance to, to invest in a pullback. And uh, that's the way we should all be approaching it. So I've asked them to come up with their stock that they load up on in a crash. Scott, what have you come up with? All right, Koshi. So I'm going to assume I've got, I've got two for you, mate. I've been told by your producer, Claudia, I can only have one. So I'm going to give you one yes. and, a, and a bonus stock. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to choose is Washington H. Sol Pattinson, mate. I own the shares for full disclosure. S-O-L is the code. And this is a but business that so is just boring. one of... And that's the beauty of it, right? If you get, See, here's the thing. We recommended this, I want to say, five or six years ago to our members. And at the time, people said, no, no I'm not going to buy Sol Pats. I'll buy shares in TPG, which is part of it, which is more exciting, or API, which is part of Sol Pats, which is more exciting. Yeah. Turns out in the duration, you would have been better with Sol Pats itself. That, that's kind of the point, right? These guys are just market beaters over one, three, five, 10, 15 years, despite that boredom. 
So if you get a chance to buy them on the cheap, if you get a chance to buy them at 15, 20, 25, 30% lower than the current share price because the market freaks out, they are literally handing out free money. So Sol Pats for mine, it's just too good to ignore. If you want to find a great, really genuinely great business, a super long-term hold run by super long-term focus management, they don't come any better than Solpats on the ASX. And if you get a chance to buy it, when the market's throwing them out with the bathwater, then that's an even better way to do it. Mm. Really quick additional one, Koshi, uh, is AP Eagers or Eagers Automotive, it's called oh, these yes. days. This is the other end of the spectrum. So if you want a safe stock in a downturn, fill your boots with Solpats. Right. The thing is, when you get a downturn, the ones you should actually want to buy are the ones that have fallen most. And pounds to peanuts, next time we have a pullback, next time we have a market crash, if people are worried about the economy, and that's why there's a crash, those that are most exposed, like new car sellers, are going to fall through the absolute floor while people freak out, absolutely freak out. If you look at the AP Eagles share price, it's done exactly that a couple of times over the last decade or two. And so this is one that's likely to fall 50, 60, 70, even 80% from top to bottom if the market freaks out about the economy itself. As long as it hasn't got too much debt, as long as its solvency isn't at risk, and we can't know what will happen by that point, but this is one, if it's still a solid business with a good balance sheet, this is one that's going to fall further and therefore almost by definition have more upside. So I go with Sol Pats, but if you've got the stomach for it and you can afford to wait and maybe see it fall even further after you buy, AP Eagles or Eagles Automotive as it's called these days, APE is the code, is one I'd also add to my watch list. So okay. there's two for the price of one. All right. Excellent. All right, Mark. Sure. Uh, I actually um, took the question a little bit differently. I thought you meant which would you want to be in in a crash? You know, so that is in what you have ah. rather than what you play when there's a crash. Because, ah. of course, whenever there's a crash and you never know when it's going to be, you then spoil mm. for choice. And the challenge is <laughs> twofold. Firstly, you've got to have some capital. Uh, otherwise, you can't buy anything. And two, then you've got to have the, uh, the intestinal fortitude to buy when the market's right down. And that's easier said than done. And we, can, we always say, you know, the... The, the best bargains are when there's blood in the street or, you know, uh, when the market crashes, that's when the biggest money's made. But it is actually very difficult to uh, do it. And even even when we had the uh, corona drop in uh, March last year, um, a hell of a lot of people had, had money and didn't pull the trigger and buy the bargains. And then right. very quickly, they bounced mm. back to where, mm. higher than where they were before. Anyway, the company I chose for a, a, a safe company to be in in a crash was... Fisher & Paykel Healthcare, uh, FPH. Yep. Um, it's actually quite very good value at the moment. This is a, a non-cyclical business because remember, what you want is if there's a major drop in the market, if you don't want to lose your money, uh, you don't want companies that are highly indebted, that's for sure. Fisher mm. & Paykel's got virtually no debt. Uh, it's in the it's a, glo a global market leader in um, uh, in, in the healthcare area, a bit like, a bit like CSL Cockley. It's in the same category as those guys except it's a lot cheaper. And at the moment, it's a triple green for Team Invest, which means it's got the highest earnings ever. Its target price is uh, well below our required rate of return. And the PE is in the bottom quartile of its range. So uh, we're showing Fisher & Parker returning 10% on a margin of safety and 28% per year on default. Now, if you have a crash, there's no way Fisher & Parker was going broke. They'll still be there and they'll come out of it just fine. So I looked at it from the point of view of, you know, what sort of business do you want to be in? And you want to be in a business that isn't going to be damaged, you know, because people will still need ventilators and hospitals will still buy all the consumables from Fisher and Paykel. And a very similar situation with T, uh, CSL, which is also pretty good value, and Cochlear, which isn't good value. It's very expensive at the moment. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, in fact, uh, yesterday, um, Nathan Somersandaran was saying, look, Australia has world-class healthcare stocks. 
Uh, his yeah. his pick was uh, CSL, but he said, yeah. you know, um, you could easily do the same for Fisher and Paykel. Um They're just mm-hmm. world class and well Absolutely. and well valued uh, on a global market as well. That's right. And they're not going anywhere. That's the point. No. So yeah. if there's a crash, they'll still be there. The share price will come down a bit. And then as we come out of it, it'll very quickly come back. Yeah, exactly. All right. Two good ones to add to our watch list for a crash. Um, Scott, first up, uh, our viewers want a view on Service Stream, the, uh, the telco. Uh, what's your view? Koshi, Service Stream is an interesting business. And if you looked at that company from 2013, right through about 2020 or 2019, the earnings were going so steadily upwards, it was about as reliable a growth as you're likely to see. Yep. The problem is that was then and this is now, because in the two years since, profits have now fallen the last financial period to as low as they've been since 2014 or 2015. So all of that good work done over the last five or six years, given back by the company in one year. Now, is it a COVID year? Absolutely. The challenge with service stream is these guys are in the network infrastructure business. Think about cables and towers, generally speaking, not the actual, they don't own the infrastructure, but they do a lot of the work for the likes of Telstra, the NBN, others, to actually lay the fibre, lay the cables, do the work that's required to deliver that network connectivity. The challenge, of course, is you're working with a contract business and effectively a services business. In this case, it's not quite IT services, probably more labour hire, really, honestly, although there's some specialty to the business. So it's a bit of both. And I'm sure loyal shareholders in the company would hate my description, but it's roughly what it does. The challenge with it is that despite that great growth over those four or five years, six years, it happened because all these guys were spending a fortune laying out this cable, doing this infrastructure work. Now, fast forward to today, the good news is the shares aren't super expensive, even on that delay or that that reduced profit. They're selling on 13-odd times earnings. So they're not super expensive. The problem is this is not a business whose future is easily forecastable. And so you can either say, well, profits have halved, the PE is cheap, I'll just take a probabilistic bet and say at some point, hopefully, the PE goes higher and hopefully profits go higher. And if those things are true, then I make some money. That's a very probabilistic basis. The challenge is, of course, I don't know how you set the odds for that because you think about the amount of work, time, effort, literal cable kilometers that have been laid over that past seven or eight years and wonder what the future <clears> might look like. We're all going to be using 5G. We're all going to be using NBN. That's, that's all true. But is there that much infrastructure required over what time period and at what level of profitability? I don't know the answer to any of those questions, and I'm not sure many other people do either. Maybe Mark might, so I'm happy to hear his, his view if he has a, consent, a dissenting one. But for me, just way too hard. Even though it looks cheap, even though profits might bounce back, they also might not. This is a toss of a coin. I figure that's not investing, so I'm giving this one a miss. What do you think, Ben, who's, who wants a view on it, said um, Sanford have a retail entitlement offer at the moment, but uh, the current price is below the retail offer. So uh, should he accumulate? Maybe not. Well, uh, that, the, because, of bro- because they're offering uh, shares at a, uh, in a retail price that's higher than the current market, that's not a reason to buy shares. Yep. Uh, it just means that the, it's softened further since they set the price, and that's embarrassing. Uh, so if it's underwritten, someone's going to take a loss, <laughs> yep. I'd say, based on that. I totally yeah. agree with uh, Scott about the difficulty with this business. We have had a look at it in Team Invest, and they had a period which ran from about 2013 up to 2019, uh, where their primary growth driver was the NBN. 
So they were one of the prime contractors to uh, NBN, and their earnings were terrific. And it, it actually never got expensive during that period because the market quite rightly assumed that this was going to end, and then what happens? Anyway, what happened is it ended in about 219, and their earnings actually held up quite well, and they came out with um, forecasts of other contracts they'd won and blah, 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 which, you know, which meant their earnings didn't fall off a cliff with the end of the, at the, end of the primary NBN contract. They also lost a couple of tenders, for the NBN, which, which a lot of the shareholders no doubt assumed they would have won. Yeah, and that spooked the market a bit and the share price came off. And then, of course, but they still, the earnings weren't bad and it was cheap. Um, and we looked at it and went, hmm, but I sort of agree with Scott. We all found it a bit too hard because it's very hard to know what it is going forward. And it is basically a labour hire business, which is, you know, is a risky, risky area to be in, really. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, the NBN, the uh, sorry, COVID legitimately slammed them because most of their operations are based out of Victoria, and Victoria is, is has been the worst case from the point of view of uh, inability to be able to operate effectively, and even their Telstra work and a lot of other contracts they just couldn't do them. Yep. So um, I, I I buy the fact that their earnings are down, and I think that is uh, a COVID impact only, and I would expect that to come back. So it's in the bottom quartile of its peer. It's probably quite cheap, but for me. It's a, it's it's a bit too there's too many unknowns in there, but it's it's not bad, and it's probably a pretty if you want to take a bit of a punt on it, it's probably got probably pretty good risk. Okay, all right, but not for you at this stage. No, not um, for no. Mark, what about Flight Centre? Anne wants to know uh, um, an opinion on Flight Centre. She also wants Fortescue, which and hang around because we're covering that a bit later um, in the program. Flight Centre, everyone sees it as a reopening trade. It's gone from, what, 15 up to $25 since uh, since August, settled back to $22. Uh, Mark, yeah. you're a team investor of uh, Flight Centre for a long time, haven't they? Uh, yes, yes. It's been, a, it's been a terrific wealth winner for us for many, many, many years. However, uh, leading up to COVID, a couple of years up into uh, leading into COVID, it was really not performing well, and it, and its growth was flat. So it was basically not growing at all for about uh, four years. Actually, I'm looking at it now. Five, since actually since 2012, EPS growth was quite anemic. It became quite a big beast, um, yeah. and I think I'm not saying Screw Turner lost interest or anything because he's a fantastic um, CEO. Hmm. He, yep, he is founder founder CEO, and I think. It's a different, completely new business now. So what they did is they halved their distribution. In other words, they closed the worst half of all of their stores uh, and only kept the really good ones. In fact, my local one down the road said, oh, no, that'd be all right because they were profitable and they were gone. Right. So, so it wasn't just me making a profit. They literally put a knife through it and they they kept their distribution overall, but they took out the density because what happened in the old, old days when they were growing even in shopping centres, Flight Centre might put in two or three or four stores in the same shopping centre to capture more of that retail dollar with foot traffic. So what yep. they might have now is one. So if you want to go and seek it out, you're going to go there anyway. But the thing I noticed with Flight Centre for a very long time is all of their stores would have, say, uh, 10 or 12 or more seats you know, for the consultants, and there was never more than one or two working in there. So they were right. way over – they had a much greater capacity than what they could – what they could generate business for. That's now been cleaned out completely. The other thing that's happened, of course, is been a massive clean out of all the independent uh, uh, travel agents. You know, not all of them, but a hell of a lot of them have closed up forever and will never come back because of COVID. So there's a significant reduction in the amount of competition in the market. But, on, and they also did a uh, massive capital raise. So they doubled the shares outstanding. 
and they had no debt and Screw probably could have borrowed the money, but he went the hard way of doing a capital raising at $7, I think it was. Correct me if I'm wrong, Scott, or something like that. Um, and it was very cheap, and it was fully it was oversubscribed. And what that means, though, if you look at their earnings prior to COVID, they were, when I looked at it, it was four, uh, $2.61 a year. They've now got double the number of shares. So if they go back to where they were before, that would be $1.30 uh, per share in earnings. So if I, if I put that in and say, well, I'm assuming they'll go back to where they were and then have a strong growth rate from there, it actually still looks okay, even right. though the share price has oh. run as, as far as it has. So if I look at Flight Center, <clears throat> on a 22.50 price, um, I'm going to give them 20% growth once they get back to where they were before, which I'm now saying is $1.30 in earnings. Yep. Uh, and the reason I'm saying that is the dramatic drop in competition and there's a massive, uh, I would say there's a massive uh, build-up of delayed gratification with people wanting to travel. So I think right. we, I think right. the industry is going to boom for the next few years. Right. Uh, that's my view. Now, some people say, oh, no, no, people won't fly anymore. Well, I say balls to that. Right. <laughs> it's not what okay. I'm seeing. US is back, US is back to 85% uh, right. pre-COVID and they've still got COVID right. at the moment. So I think I think it'll be a boom. And based on that, we're showing if you if you, I have 15%, 15 PE ratio, and if I give them 20% growth after they're back, you know, we're back to full capacity again, uh, that gives you about a, nearly a 20% return per year at the current share price. Now, there's a lot of ifs in that. So I'm not saying that's a forecast. I'm just saying I could rationalise that it's still a good buy. But to me, the market has run way ahead of what's justified considering they're making big losses at the moment. Right. So would you be buying at these prices? No. Right. <laughs> no. Scott? Mark's had a really great summary, Koshi. It's one of the, I think it's probably the maybe biggest trap, maybe it's not, one of the biggest traps for retail investors looking at a share price and saying, look how high it was, it's almost back there, or it's half of that, or it's a quarter of that, therefore it's cheap, without mentioning the share dilution that, of course, isn't <laughs> yeah. obvious unless you look for it. And so, as Mark said, when you look at flights and you think, wow, 22 bucks, gee, it's been much more expensive than that in the past. You've also got to say, yeah, but the share count's always been has been much much lower in the past. In other words, yeah. um, it, it could still be expensive. We'll take Webjet. Webjet's I think back to higher than pre-COVID prices in terms of market cap, even though the share price is about half because it issued about as many shares as it already had on issues. Right. So double the share count, so it looks cheap. It looks like it's about half the price. But when you count the extra shares, it's almost more expensive than it was last February, which is which is a heck of a thing. That's the big challenge. The companies uh, like Flight Center and Webjet have made it a long, long way back from the lows. Nine bucks or so, I think it was, maybe seven, as Mark said. I'm not sure what the numbers were, but like, cheap enough. Um, the, the, the reopen trade, as you mentioned, the open, Koshi, with your question, it's already in. It's already been done, right? Waiting for the reopen to buy. You look back and look at the Flight Center share price. The market knows it's coming. The market's already allowing for that moving forward. Now, I share Mark's view of the of the closures. They really didn't waste a crisis, the old the old aphorism. They've absolutely you know, swung and swung hard. Terrible for people who've lost their jobs, of course, but they've closed the stores that were worth closing. They've pretty much pared themselves down. I think they'll add those stores or some, some of those stores, maybe many of those stores back, honestly, in time. I think they'll see what demand is looking like. All of a sudden, as Mark said, there will be that boom. I completely agree. The chairs are full at Flight Center at, pick your local <laughs> shopping center. Um, <laughs> Pacific Fair in Queensland, all of a sudden the chairs are full, there's there's people waiting and someone from Flight Center says, hey, let's open one down the street, let's open one across the mall. That will happen again, I think. They will expand to fill the demand they see. And I agree with Mark, Mike, I think they will get back to that level of demand in time. I also agree with the conclusion, it's a hold for us at the Multi Full. I think that's about right while we wait and see how this shakes out because we don't know how long, how big, how quickly, how profitable. So it's yeah. probably not a, an attractive enough price to buy. 
but it's definitely one to keep an eye out for. It is one of the survivors and thrivers in this industry. I wouldn't be selling it, but I wouldn't be buying yet. You can afford to sit there and wait. If it goes up in the meantime, great. You make some money. If it goes down in the meantime, maybe there's a buying opportunity, but otherwise just wait and see what happens and how quick the recovery comes. Okay. All right, Scott. Yeah, wants it, uh, yep. Just, just Sorry, for that, man. by the way, to be clear, it, it's a hold for us. I wouldn't. I right. definitely wouldn't be a seller. I owned it, and a lot of our members bought it when um, after the uh, drop with uh, COVID. You know, down at the ten dollars below, and and took up the rights issue and so on. So they're all very happy. Yeah, oh, I bet they are. Uh, Scott, another Scott wants a view on Macca uh, Limited. This hasn't come up before here on. Uh, on the call, MACA, um, a mining services company and earthworks in um, in resources and also infrastructure. This is a really difficult, Scott, Scott's obviously a smart bloke, got a good name, Koshi, so I'm, I'm inclined to like him already. Uh, but this is a really, <laughs> really hard company to analyse for some of the reasons that we talk about. And Mark and I aren't that dissimilar. You, you sort of look at the past, you look at the future and say, how capable am I of looking at the future and working out what that might look like? what sales, profitability, costs, what might happen in that industry, and then try and work out how you can kind of form a price on that. And a lot of the time, the answer is, I don't know. And so, you know, I get to say that, Mark gets to say that, others in other companies aren't quite so, um, I don't have that luxury. Most uh, brokers, most analysts have to have a view because they have to have a view because they're paid to. Um, I don't, which is fortunate for me, unfortunate for them. This is one, look, eight times only looks really, really cheap. The sector is going to continue to be a really important sector for the Australian economy, for Australian exports, of course, everything from iron to coal to gold to nickel, lithium, potentially, eventually, if we get to that point. Um, th- you know, these are going to be really important industries for the Australian economy, as I said, for the federal government budget, all that good stuff. So no one's saying that's going away. The question you've got to ask yourself for someone like Macca, who does mining services, civil construction, is <clears throat> what does the future look like in terms of in terms of contracts? How likely is it they're going to be called in to do more and more work? Because remember, you know, if you, if, you, if, you, if you make Coke and sell Coke, you, you sell one to me, I drink it, I go and get another one tomorrow. When Mac has dug a hole, it doesn't need to redig the same hole. It's got to wait for someone else to say, hey, I'd like a mine over there, please. Now, it's not, again, that simple, but conceptually, once they've done the bit of work they're contracted for, their work's done. And unless they have ongoing maintenance contracts or ongoing uh, supply contracts, which they will do for some, some customers, of course, then you've got to try and work out how many holes are going to be dug, how many new mines are going to be opened, how many expansions are going to happen. All those things are really, really difficult to forecast. So even at eight times earnings, I'm going to give this one a miss. I don't think it's necessarily the best in the business. I don't think it's necessarily likely to get any business that's going. Um, if the business booms, if there's a lot more construction, a lot more exploration, a lot more digging, digging being done, it'll do really, really well. If there's not, it won't. And again, it's kind of one of those coin toss questions. You just don't have to have a view because unless you have a really, really good insight into what the next 5, 10, 15 years is going to look like for this company, you are really taking a massive, massive gamble and saying, well, I hope it goes up. And if it goes up, I hope Mackie gets the work. And if it gets the work, I hope it makes a dollar. And if it makes a dollar, I hope it doesn't waste it. <laughs> and so, yeah. you know, if all yeah. those things become true, then you get rewarded. If not, if one of those ifs goes the wrong way, it can really undermine your investment thesis. So too speculative for me, Koshi. Sure. Mark? Uh, yes, uh, we used to know this business quite well because we, we 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 always liked mining services companies uh, in the good times. Um, interestingly, if I look at their earnings, back in 2013-14, they were about 30 cents a share, and now they're six cents, um, you know, which is obviously not good. But looking at the graph, what happened was uh, end of 2016 going into 17 was about the turning point on the last uh, low from the last mining boom. And then since then, we've been off to the races again. Now, if, if I look at uh, Macca's numbers, 
they actually mirror that exactly. So the earnings growth, sorry, the revenue growth has been very solid and it's been very consistent running at 13.2% a year since then, you know, since 2017. But the earnings have gone the other way. So they've been negative 19% a year. So so you've got uh, revenue going up in a nice click, you know, very consistent click, which means sales, and they're just not making the money on it anymore. And okay. and the, 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 it's kicked up a little bit in the last year, but still at six cents. The year before that, it was at two cents. Yep. So uh, this is we've actually been through a very bullish period for our miners. The amount of work uh, for all the mining industry has been you know has been really strong, and a lot of mining services companies went broke after the last boom. So Macus should be doing really well. Now they're making sales, they're not making money. I don't know why because I'm not uh, across it in detail. The effect is that their return on equity is 4.9 and return on capital 4.2, which is, is a yawn, and I wouldn't touch it. Yep. Okay. All right. Uh, would you touch um, Mark Pinnacle Investments for here, wants a view, especially now that its price has come down quite a bit from its recent highs, although for here says it's still an eye-watering PE of 34 times, uh, times earnings. Uh, on 73 times revenue, which values the, according to Vahir, uh, values it as a high growth stock. Um, yeah. Is it a good entry level for a long-term investor? No. Um, now, Pinnacle, uh, I'm a shareholder, by the way, so yeah. I'll, I'll flag that. It's been really good for me. Um, it's a wealth winner from Tim Invest's point of view. It, we know uh, Ian McCown uh, well. He's uh, spoken to our members in Sydney and we, the philosophy, the whole business model of Pinnacle I really like because what they do is they, they effectively take a minority stake up to 49% typically um, in existing funds. They used to do startup funds where they would take a successful um, uh, allocator from one of the other big funds who had another, who was another, he, was a, he could demonstrate a successful stock picking history and they would fund him into his own business. That's what they used to do. Now they're sort of buying into more established funds like they bought into Christopher Joy's, um, uh, what's that one called? You'd know that one for sure. Coolabar. Uh, Coolabar. Yep. yep. They bought in Coolabar. I think they paid 20 million for a 20% stake in it. Uh, so effectively, they've got 16 of these and they call them affiliates. And what they do, Pinnacle provide the administrative back office stuff. But the thing that really yeah. differentiates them is they have 34 salespeople uh, working on fund acquisition. So when they when a fund comes into their portfolio and they have a minority stake in it, they have nothing to do with the stock selection, don't want to know about anything like that. They just take all the admin um, uh, jobs away from the fund manager so they can concentrate on managing clients and the money. And they provide a, a sales channel to increase their funds under oh, management. Okay. I think Cooler Bar's doubled since they sold a share, and I think it went from one billion to two billion or something really quickly. So they actually do; it, they deliver on it, yeah. and then basically they get um, di- dividends. They live off the the profit, which has to be distributed as part of the agreement, um, and then that's how they make their money. So they've got 16 funds that they own a, a share of. They don't manage anything themselves. Uh, so we really like the model and it's very, very well run, but the market loves it now and it's really expensive. <laughs> Having said that, still showing about a 10% return at the current price on a margin of safety, even though I'm showing the P ratio at 41 uh, and it's in the in the red for us, which is the top quartile. Right. Um, okay. The other part of the question was, uh, what should you pay for it? And uh, I, we, we would say you want to buy it in the bottom quartile PE which that gives you a price of 9.59 so say 960 okay. or something just right. less than 10 now will you be able to buy it for $10 when it's currently 14 i would say you've got a good chance 
Right. Yeah, you because know, all you need is a bit of a shake up in the market, a little bit of a, a scare, and and yeah, you know, then you get these opportunities. Yeah. But it's an absolute quality company, and I'd be delighted to buy more at that kind of price. Okay. Uh, good rap for it, uh, Scott. Yeah, I can't disagree with almost anything Mark said. The business model is wonderful. Um, there, there is a real, you know, one of the big trends, I think, if you think about business at the moment, is that aggregation by either either absolute purchase or they sort of, they call it affiliates. Think about insurance brokers. Think about uh, the steadfasts of the world or, um, you know, this sort of model where you basically give them the benefits of scale, let them do their own thing is a really, really popular model. And it's popular for a reason because it does allow, as Mark says, no fund manager wants to do the paperwork or the other stuff that goes with it. They want to go and pick stocks, right? And so if you can provide them with an attractive way to do that, gives them more, you know, more than half of the upside, generally speaking, um, but gives you part of that upside, plus you get to do what you do well, which is actually the administration, management, sales, marketing, yep. then you're in a really good place. And that combination is a really attractive one for Pinnacle. So I agree completely with Mark. The performance, by the way, has also been really good so far. And I really like funds management. We've said before, it's one of those recurring themes over the past uh, few episodes we've done together is this should be a growing market. It's a really scalable business. You don't have to add much more in the way of cost as your funds under management grows. So your market, your, your, your margin should go up, your profit should go up. You've got fund inflows for the foreseeable future with superannuation, more people earning more money and a, a higher proportion of that going into super. That, I mean, that sort of thing, that, 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 that tailwind is about as good as you're gonna get. So this should be a good industry. But I also agree with Mark. I think you wanna play 40 times earnings for this. You gotta assume a lot continues to go right. These guys have gotta become, it's easy for someone you know, in, a, in a, a small software business to go really fast for a long time. When yeah. you're already pinnacle size, you've already got this number of affiliates, it makes it much, much harder. And they could acquire a heap of businesses. They could grow their funds organically really, really nicely. So I wouldn't rule out them being able to justify this PE, but on the range of possible outcomes, that's at the very, very, very extreme end for my mind. I think, okay. yep, you want to buy it. Yep, this is one for your shopping list. We talked about that at the top of the show. I would yeah. start by saying, great business, just too expensive right now. Okay. Uh, what about uh, Hum, uh, Scott View, the uh, former Flexi Group? Uh, of course, uh, Ruby wants a view, saying uh, mm. the share price seems to have dropped a lot recently. I've been holding these shares for a while, not sure whether I should keep holding onto them. It's the old mm. financial services group, isn't it? Uh, yep. uh, then got into buy now, pay later. Uh, mm. Has been there for a long time, but wasn't as sexy as the zips and the afterpay and rebranded to yep. try and become yep. cool. And that's kind of the problem, Koshi. This is one of those scenarios where you say, hang on, these guys are one of those buy now, pay later. They're trading for 50, 100, 200 times earnings or an infinite PE because there are no earnings. Hum is an established business with established brands. Uh, the Hum is the new brand, of course, and they've rebranded to take yeah. advantage of that. But they're trading on 6.7 times earnings. And you kind of say to yourself, hang on, what, what, what am I missing between the two? If you're a value hunter, you look at this and go, gee, maybe there's some value there. If this could get to 15, 20, 25, 30 times earnings, if it can get some momentum and yeah. the market re-rates it, there is a massive upside potential for Hum. That's absolutely true. What you've also got to look at, though, as the pragmatist is if these guys could already do that, they'd be doing it already. And there is something about, like everything, you know, building a better mousetrap is not enough. You've got to convince someone to buy your mousetrap. Afterpay and zip success is not specifically, maybe even predominantly, this will offend some people, not predominantly in the in the tech or the app or the the idea of buy now, pay later. As you mentioned, Hum's been doing that as Flexi Group for years, decades. Yet the difference here is that Afterpay made it cool. They, they got retailers on board, they got consumers on board, they got the offer right, they got the branding right, and they took an existing idea and turn it into a multi-billion dollar business. 
Harmer has all the, the attributes except that. They've got to get people to use it. They've got to get businesses to accept it. They've got to get a lot of volume going through that payment. And that's the, that's the key challenge. So the idea is right. They're exactly the same as the other buy now, pay laters in terms of the functionality for all intents and purposes, but they're just not getting it done at the moment. So yeah. I don't know, mate. I'm going to call this one a hold. I, I, I don't know that I'd be rushing out to sell it. It just looks too cheap to sell. The inner value hound in me is saying, you know, don't, don't sell it just yet. There's upside potential. And they're profitable, right? So the downside, unless that profit goes away, the downside shouldn't be massive. The upside potential, if they get it right and the market starts liking them, should be a meaningful upside. But the risk of that is they haven't done it yet. So you've got to be you've got to be brave and you've got to be optimistic to say they'll finally crack it. And when they do, I'll be there ready. So again, yeah. that's why I probably I would buy it now. But if you own it, I'd probably hang I'll on and see it. if they can do something with the shares. Yeah. Yep. Mark. Uh, yeah, I think that's a, a good summary. They they're also too late to the party. Uh, when you look at the when you have a like your Amazons and Microsofts, whenever you have a network moat where a, a, a company gets a dominant market position, like I think realestate.com is a good example in Australia. Even with domain nipping at their heels, domain has never really been able to hurt them. And yeah. they've had the they had all the resources of Fairfax behind them and massive media and marketing expenditure, and they still couldn't displace them. So what Hum are doing is they've come into the game now with a Me Too offering uh, against Afterpay and Zip and others. Now, how many are these? How many of these different organisations does a retailer need? Yeah. Everything you have requires admin and management. I'd say they're you know they're a penny short and a pound too late or whatever that saying yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, uh, but yet what Scott said is also true. The, uh, they are a profitable business. However, their earnings have been poor. They've, I've got a negative 15% EPS growth over the last six years. Uh, it peaked in 2015. It's been all downhill slowly, bottoming at 220, and then a little bit of an uptick in 221. But just to add insult to injury, in 21, revenue was down. Right. So their profitability was up a little bit and revenue was down. Now, is that the start of a new trend of making more money? Maybe. Yeah. Um, it's it's probably I wouldn't sell it either if I had it I think if, if you if you'd lost money on it you'd probably say well at a, at a six point I've got it at six point four uh, PE um, it's very very low I just think yeah they're just way 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 too late okay to, for right. that Let, market sure let's recap the first five stocks our our crash watch list stocks uh, Fisher and Pike from uh, Markham Washington uh, sold Pats for uh, for Scott Service Dream I know from both Flight Center. A hold from both Macro and No, Pinnacle and No, great company, just too high. Put it on your watch list if you need to. It's a really well-run company. If it gets down to around $10, uh, then worth looking at a hum. Uh, hum is whole. Uh, we've also, don't forget, got the Calls Fantasy Portfolio. We've been tracking since the 1st of July last year. Thanks to our partner, Nab Trade. Any stocks that get two thumbs up from our panel goes into it. Uh, let's see how we're performing up. Um, just over 1% for the week, almost a percent for the month and up 5% this financial year since the uh, 1st of July last year, up 42%. Some recent stocks added. Uh, 360 Capital, Whitehaven Coal, WHT&E, uh, Silk Laser, Australia and Bigger Cheese. Uh, some of the stocks removed, Sandfire Resources, Adairs, Nick Scarly and A2 Milk. You can see all the stocks in the portfolio, osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. All right, we're uh, running a bit behind, so we'll get into uh, the second half now. Scott Mel wants a view on Meyer Holdings, the big retailer, saying um, FY21 results were up because they had good online growth, given that more stores will be coming out of lockdown. Will this 
one have the potential for future growth? It's a really good question, isn't it? I am impressed with the online results for Myra, I have to say, Koshi. I think that's the, the shining light. I want to say it's probably the only light at Myra right now. I've been a long-term bear on the business because its entire reason for being goes away really, really quickly. Not even in an online world, but just in a shopping center, you know, physical mall world. It used to be the time, I, I've said this before, when I was a kid, my grandmother would take me into town. We called it not in the city, into town. And you go to the Maya and you'd buy the shoes and the pants and the, you'd get some food. And it was it was the yesteryear version of the shopping center before there were shopping centers. You had the high street strip shop where you'd walk up and down the street or you'd go to DJs, David Jones or Maya or Grace Brothers as it was then, Farmers, plenty of others around the country. And you do all your shopping there. It was the department store. It was the forerunner for the shopping center. The problem is once shopping centers came about, they got big, they got, you know, effectively everything from cinemas uh, through to, you know, specialty fashion yep. through to everything else. And it's just too good to, to you know, there's no need to go into a Myra or DJs these days except for the specific brands they own. Now, yep. the one shine light, as I said, is that online sales growth. And that might rescue some of the value for Maya if it can do what others have done, like Adairs, for example, I own shares in Adairs for the record, uh, that have basically said, okay, we'll take our offline brand We'll make it online. And if you're online, you're shopping for something, you might Google you know, a new pair of shoes or you might Google Maya or you might Google another shoe retailer and you might just make some money there by being the brand that everyone knows is a starting place to shop. That might save Maya because I have to say they still have too many stores. Those stores are still giving them terrible, terrible returns on investment. I wouldn't buy Maya until either the online sales get big enough that they start to dwarf those stores or management do what they need to do and close another half at least of yep. the stores they have today. They almost need a, a city CBD flagship store in eight, nine, 10 CBDs. And that's probably as much as Maya should have in the fullness of time. The quicker they get there, the better we can see the business yep. they've got left. Uh, even with the recent bounce, I wouldn't buy the shares. Yeah. Mark, what do you think of Maya? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm nowhere near as positive as Scott. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think it was that positive, but okay. Oh, no, so it's a no from you, I gather. <laughs> I, I really thought that was putting lipstick on a pig. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. That sums it up. All right. We're running. Right yeah. right, we're a bit behind time, so I'll just say that's a no from you. Um, stri yeah. Strike Energy. Uh, Lillian wants a view, uh, Mark, on Strike Energy share price. Uh, quite timely, because I noticed in the Motley Fool coverage that I got yesterday, which I subscribe to uh, each day, um, that the share price sunk 16% yesterday because they, they came out with a report on one of their gas reserves. So that's a, a pretty horrible chart. Mark? Um, yes. Well, this is a Perth Basin explorer that had a good story. I actually have got a friend who is a, is a heavily involved in the business. So I, I, get a, I get a commentary from him regularly. It's not a team invest kind of company. Yeah. Um, but it was, always very, it was all very exciting. And the share price was up in the 30s, and he was telling me that you know they were going to they'll probably sell it when it when it got to 60 cents, that sort of thing. When they proved up the resource, then they had some problems with I think water in uh, in one of the uh, holes, which means some sand fell in. You know, stuff that I was assured was oh, this is just the normal problems, but the market didn't like it. And then I haven't heard about this latest one, Scott, because I've been away. So I'll let you answer that. Yep, <laughs> Scott. Uh, yeah, when you when you're this is the problem with when you're exploring, uh, you are literally feast or famine. These are ones or zeros. You don't you don't find half a well or three quarters of a well. Maybe occasionally you find a well that has a bit more, a bit less than you hoped. 
Uh, but if you if you drill a dust art, you're pretty much drilling a dust. There is nothing in that one. And this was that this was a key. Uh, so yeah, reserves in general are the same story. If you if you deliver or find a decent amount of reserves, because the market will say, okay, well you found this much gas, this yeah. much oil. We think you can commercialize it at this rate, at this price, and they can impute a value on those reserves. It's it's long established practice. It makes a whole lot of sense. In this case, the news from Strike was not that good. The reserves are not what they had hoped, and that simply is going to hurt them. I, I don't see how this one is. Investable, Koshi. Uh, Mark may have a different view based on based on his insight, but um, the reality is, it 95 times earnings. Th this is one where the market is putting that. This is a lot of ticket type stuff, hoping it can find oil and gas, hoping it commercialise it, hopefully it can turn a profit. If it does, that that price looks cheap, even at 95 times earnings. If it doesn't, we're probably looking at a capital raising and more exploration, um, and that right. just sends the price down further. So no, I'd give this one a miss. Okay. All right, um, Mark, Annalise want to be on Wise Tech Global, the uh, big logistics um, platform to help transport companies track uh, goods and uh, their goods uh, around the world. Um, has had a, um, a volatile history, hasn't it? There was uh, some short selling reports put out on it. Its governance was questioned, um, but it seems to have recaptured the confidence of the market. Yeah, well, it's not a, it's not one that I know a lot about, but I'm just looking at it on Conscious Investor and it actually looks pretty good. Um, it passes all our filters um, and it's returning, we're showing a return of about 10% on safety and 31 per year on default, which is the more the probable one based on its historical performance over the last six years. Their EPS growth average at 37% over the last six years with a blip in 220. Uh, and then it's sort of back to the, gone up back to the races. So if you look at a line through there, it's actually very stable. And uh, sales have been growing at 35% with 93% stability. So all that looks good. So I can't see anything wrong with it or why anyone would be shorting it. I don't know about the governance issues. Um, so I would say it looks like a buy from our perspective, although we, don't, haven't, done, we haven't done any specific work on it. Okay. Um, Scott? Yeah, I'll echo Mark's comments and just add some extra thoughts, which are that, I think if you imagine the the size of the networks for freight forwarding and distribution around the world, and apparently there are literally scores, if not hundreds of different systems being used to do all of that, and you bring in something that can potentially link all those together or replace them to give full visibility. You get the Amazon notification saying, oh, your Amazon parcel's coming tomorrow, or the Australia Post one saying, yeah. we just dispatched it from our warehouse in Sydney or whatever it is. Um, imagine that being done globally with one system or one set of systems. That's effectively the wise tech promise. Now, it's a really, really massive industry, and its market share, last I checked, was less than half, less than 5%. So there's a big, big, big potential market there <clears> if you can capture it. And at some level, the more people use it, it's a bit of a network effect, right? If you use the system and I use the system, Mark's going to say, well, I don't use that one. Sorry, guys. And we're going to say, well, we'd like you to because then we can connect our businesses together and know where the goods are and all that kind of stuff. So it starts <laughs> to become more and more relevant the more it's used, which is a really nice network effect for WiseTech. You mentioned the governance issues. The shares were shorted um, very publicly. Uh, one of those short cases that seems not to have panned out in the fullness of time. Uh, and it's really a business that continues to grow. The, part of the governance concerns with the acquisitions and whether they were de genuinely delivering value, how much you can treat as organic at growth or acquired growth. The pandemic, among other things, has basically slowed all that down and said, okay, we haven't bought anything recently or not much. So you can kind of look at the business now as, yeah. a, as a going concern and say, here's the growth we're getting. They're doing a really, really good job of growing. I think this is a long-term winner. It's not cheap. I do think it's a buy, but you have to know it's going to be volatile yeah. if and when the company doesn't do exactly what the market wants or better, because often the market wants even more than it expects, funnily enough. 
Um, so yeah, look, it's a buy for me, but it's one you just got to be a little bit careful of. Not so much buying it, just being mindful. It could well halve before it doubles, and that's that's going to be the wise yeah. tech journey. So if you are going to buy it, if you're worried about a 10% fall, don't, because you're almost certainly going to have one at some point. 20% yeah. fall probably, 30% fall maybe. Um, so just have have a cast on something if you're going to buy this, but I think it is a yeah. market beta. Um, I, I just love the story of the founder, Richard White. Yeah. My... Um, <coughs> Excuse me, my brother-in-law used to manage ACDC and he remembers Richard White as one of the roadies. He was the guitar <laughs> technician for ACDC and the Angels and he came up with this Excel spreadsheet for, <coughs> excuse me, transporting shows around the country. Right. So he right. then became Logist- the, the logistics guy and that spreadsheet has turned into WiseTech. I just reckon oh. it's a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful a story. story. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just terrific. So, see everyone, finance isn't always boring. It's really great. Yeah, exactly. And some, and some great characters involved where all these companies come from. Another great character is our next stock, um, Fortescue uh, Metals. Uh, John wants a view, uh, Mark, on, on Fortescue, of course, Andrew Forrest, pure iron ore miner. But he's go has this future fund that he's investing in renewable energies and particularly hydrogen. Big deal announced yesterday um, in Queensland. Uh, John wants a view on FMG on Fortescue Mark, but also with a specific question: Does this fund into renewables go into the main company? And if you're a shareholder of Fortescue, will you benefit from that? Okay. Um, well, the first question is, uh, is it is it good value at the moment? Well, I'm showing it on a P of 3.4 yeah. um, on the uh, on their on their last uh, published earnings. Now, earnings have rocketed up because they have absolutely benefited from the um, what were record high iron ore prices. Now, they dropped dramatically um, when, with uh, China slowing down purchases. The China's doing their best not to buy from us, but they just can't not buy iron yeah. uh, or coal from us. The or coal they're they, they have not been, but it looks like they're going to start buying it again. But in iron ore terms, it's now, I think, 135. It's dropped down to 90 yeah. or something. So it's coming back. But I suspect what's happened is the market has overdone it on pushing the price down. Because if you look at the dividend they're paying, and well, let's, let's look at it, go step yeah. back a moment. Obviously, they're very much a pure play um, iron ore miner, apart from this hydrogen thing, which I don't put any value on because I have right. no, no way of knowing whether it'll ever be anything. Uh, or whether it's a fantasy, I have no idea. But if you just look at the iron ore business, um, the the project, projections I've read on iron ore is going up further now based on supply and demand metrics. But anyway, even if it stays where it is, it's going to crimp their profitability for sure. But I suspect that the share price is so low, it's not going to matter. I mean, you're still going to get a decent return. So the dividend at the moment is, what are they paying out in dividend? Do you know off the top of your head, Scott? Um, I don't have a man. Because they, they just... Uh, and they just paid a special dividend at something like eight yeah. percent, fully franked. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So uh, uh, it's hard to say that Fortescue is probably not. Assuming, let's put the caveat there and say, as long as the iron ore price doesn't collapse, or China um, starts a war with Taiwan and we stop exporting altogether, okay, that would be bad. But assuming right. it's uh, business as usual with aggravation, I think I think Fortescue is is, is you know, uh, arguably a bargain. What do you think, Scott? 
They, uh, the dividend, by the way, was 14.1% based on Whoa. the current price, and that was the half year, the final dividend. Uh, <laughs> if you add the add the, the interim dividend to it, you get close to 20%. $3.58 in dividends over the past 12 months wow. on a $15 share price. Now, this is the challenge, right? The market knows that. It's not like all of a sudden we've just uncovered a, a fantastic bargain and someone's <laughs> missed a decimal place all the other spreadsheets around town. Everyone else looks at this and goes, okay, well, that was based on last year's sales, last year's iron ore price, last year's profit. In the future, that'll be different. And the future price, the future likely profitability says that 15 bucks is a fair price. Now, we're here to find where we think the market's wrong because the market's not wrong all the time. It's wrong some of the time no. on some of the stocks. And so our, our, our job as always as investors all the time is to say, if the market's roughly right, leave it alone because you can buy an ETF if you just want to match the market. If you're going to beat the market, you've got to look for areas where the market's wrong. So the question is, is $3.58 sustainable or is $14.89 too cheap? Because they're not both true. But almost by definition, they can't. I mean, they can, I guess, if the business went broke in year two and that's all it ever paid out, it'd still be expensive. But the reality is, of course, Fortescue is a great global business and it's yep. going to continue for years to come. I am really torn like Mark, I've got to say. I look at that and think, man, even if the dividend halves and halves again, you're on a 3.5% yield. Um, and profit's not going to stay at you know three quarters less, less forever, you wouldn't assume. So as long as you're not buying it just for the dividend, as long as the market's reasonably priced that future, you're in a pretty good place. The challenge, as Mark said, is also the market should know what those other iron ore forecasts are, which Mark highlights. And if the market is looking at those the same things we're looking at, pricing it the same way, then we have to, again, because it's a commodity business, understand, take a view on where the market's wrong in that. Are they not using the whole iron ore forecast? Is the forecast itself wrong? I am not someone who can look at a $100 plus iron ore price where we know the cost of production is in the teens, cash cost, yep. all in cost, maybe $30, maybe $40 if you're generous, 50 if you really want to try hard. There's still 60, 70 bucks worth of profit there for anyone else who wants to produce iron ore at anywhere between 50 and 100 bucks to get in on the game. And I just, like Economics 101 says, there shouldn't be that much available extra profit for any extended period of time, unless there's a cartel or unless it's too hard to get production going or unless the Chinese demand stops all of a sudden. You've got to have a view on that. You've got to have an educated, well-formed, well-thought-out, evidence-based view to say, I think the price is going to be higher than the market thinks, and that's why, or for longer, and that's why Fortescue is cheap at the current price. I wouldn't sell it if I owned it now. It just, it looks it looks too cheap, right? And that's why I'm... I'm on the fence on this one because I really am saying, look, you know what? The dynamics of the iron ore price should not allow this price to, to be sustainable, which I think the market's probably right. And I think the market's having roughly the same view about Fortescue. If I'm wrong, then this is really, really cheap and may continue to be cheap for a long time with those wonderful dividends that come along yep. if the price remains at, as it is above 110 bucks. So I'm I'm going to say hold. I'm not going to, if you own no. it, I wouldn't sell it. I, I can't make myself buy it. I, I'd be happy to buy Fortescue if and when the, the iron ore price fell. That's exactly the time to buy. When it's this high, I just can't go near it. Okay. All right. And our final stock, uh, Scott, um, Kyle wants a view on Nanosonics. This is the group uh, with this technology, Trophon, that disinfects uh, theatre instruments uh, in the hospitals. Not only do they sell the hospital the machine, but you've got mm -hmm. a keep buying all the supplies to keep it going so it's uh that's where they where they make their money don't they it's a bit like the uh, nespresso of disinfecting <laughs> hospital <laughs> instruments you buy the machine but you've got to keep buying the pods <laughs> nanosonics would try and tell you that nespresso was the trophon of coffee machines yeah, yeah. but i think you're right your analogy is probably right Koshi. and that's that's exactly what it is right it's very specific fluids in very specific vials that go into this machine 
to make sure things are disinfected. And while you might not get the best cup of coffee if you try to, you know, a counterfeit or a fake Nespresso pod, I wouldn't want to throw any old disinfection <laughs> in, into a Trophon machine, right? Because yep. this is life and death stuff. This is hospital-acquired infections. We know the Trophon machine is the standard of care in so many different hospital systems, entire jurisdictions, by the way. I think it's I think it's the UK from memory um, has made this the standard of care, the gold standard. Yep. So if you're going to disinfect ultrasound probes, the Trophon machine is the best in the business. And I think that's pretty much widely accepted. The last year's sales and profits weren't great because turns out if you're trying to sell a Trophon machine in the middle of a pandemic, people are going to say, yeah, thanks, dude, but I'm a little busy right now. Can you come back yep. next year? And so that was <laughs> that hurt sales and hurt profits. And the share price has really taken a, a, a real dive since. I think that's an opportunity for investors. I really do. I think if you believe they can get back to previous levels of profitability and then continue to grow, as you say, Koshi, there's the Trophon 1 machine. There's a new one called the Trophon 2. They're working on a third machine. They've announced just recently um, they've also, they believe the market is now bigger than they had previously assumed. Now, mm. management would say that, right? Because they want you to buy the shares. Yeah. So you've got to take that with a grain of salt from any company, not just Nanasonics. But it looks to me like if they can right the ship, get growth going again, and for the long term, because these consumables are required over and over and over again, as you say, that Nespresso business model, um, I think it's a really, really good business. Not cheap mm. at all. This is another one that can be volatile. We've seen the share price grow over $8 and a five fifty. If you bought it at eight, you're feeling pretty sick and sorry right now. But I do think the long term is bright for, for, for Nanasonics, not Nespresso, Nanasonics from, <laughs> uh, from $5.50. I'd be a buyer at these prices. Okay. Mark? Uh, interesting analogy about Nespresso. I'd definitely rather have Nespresso if, if, if that was offered to me <laughs> than Nanasonics. Um, it's, it, it, it's an interesting business. It's actually on a P of about 200, you know, which is pretty high. Um, and I think everything Scott said was all absolutely correct. Their, their return on equity at the moment is 6.3 and return on, return on capital 6.5. So it's way below our 20. And if you actually look at it, that argument about the last year's profit or 20, 2021, a slight decline in uh, profitability, that's true. But at the same time, their revenue is going up. So revenue has been growing at 18% uh, consistently. So what they managed to do is even though they, they might have said it was COVID, they still made they still had sales growth. So they had sales growth and they weren't making the money. I don't know why. Um, and maybe maybe they've invested in heavily in the new um, hardware they're making, the new Trophon and so on. Right. Uh, I think the market opportunities is absolutely there, as, uh, as Scott mentioned. And we're showing a massive differential between a margin of safety number, which is about 1% a year return, to a default rate of 60% per oh, year. Wow. And what that shows you is how extreme it is. Yeah. In other words, uh, you know, this could do really, really well, or it might not. And I think that's that's what it comes down to. Right. So um, it's for us, it fails on our, some basic metrics on return on equity and so on. So I couldn't say it'd be a buy for us, but I think you know it'd be a hold if you had it, and uh, it may it may very it may well do very well for anyone who buys it. Okay, Scott Phillips from uh, Motley Fall in the beautiful Southern Highlands. Thank you for joining us. And Mark Morland from beautiful Washington State in the uh, the United States. Great to see you and get back to the grandkids and looking after them. (laughs) I will. Thank you. Have fun. All right, guys. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Let's recap the final five. Uh, Stocks, Meyer a no. Strike a no. Wise Tech a yes from both um, Scott and Mark. Fortescue a yes from Mark. Uh, It's a hold from Scott. it's Scott's point of view, and it's always a dilemma, even for the experts. Share prices come down so much. 
It looks so cheap. The dividend is so good. The market must know about it. So why isn't it pricing it a lot better? So he's waiting and saying, Nanosonic's a yes from Scott and a no from markets. Um, a bit high, high risk for, for team invest members. So uh, really good session there on the call. And uh, Scott and Mark are just two terrific um, experts for our panel that we have regularly here on the call. Um, don't forget, if you'd like to send us any stocks to uh, put to our expert panel, put them in an email, thecall at osbiz.com.au or tweet us uh, using the at Ausbiz TV handle. Uh, all the stocks in the calls portfolio, which uh, WiseTech goes into. And because Scott said a hold for Nanosonics, and uh, uh, Mark said a hold for Nanosonics, Scott a buy. Nanosonic stays in the portfolio. Uh, you can see all the stocks osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And we'll see you same time tomorrow for the call. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.